satellite imagery is kind of everywhere in our lives today, in the way that we kind of map, in the way that we use maps, um, in the way that we investigate in our media. Um, particularly over the last few years, we've seen the rise of open source intelligence as a way of reporting uh, challenging narratives on the ground. Organizations like Forensic Architecture, um, Goldsmiths, uh, and, and elsewhere now, and uh, Bellingcat um, have made kind of important media breakthroughs using this idea of taking open source data, particularly satellite imagery, as a way of, at the same time, capturing imagery taken on the ground, uh, often relating to conflicts and human rights issues, and, and challenging those official narratives. Uh, but there was one part of the world where satellite imagery wasn't readily available, or not readily at a, what we would say is a high resolution, a resolution where we can really understand what is going on, or at least make an interpretation, formed interpretation of what's going on on the ground. Uh, and that was over Israel, uh, and by extension, we'll come back to this point, over the Palestinian territories as well. Now, this is kind of strange thing coming from uh, an archaeologist. Andrea also was an archaeologist. It's about politics. I mean, obviously, archaeology is also about politics in its own way. Um, and the world of space, the space industry. Uh, we probably shouldn't have been doing this, but we did. Um, and it's, we're just starting to see now the kind of impact of that work. Um, so today I'll be presenting what we did, how it came about, uh, all the challenges we faced, a lot of the knockbacks uh, that we took, um, and how ultimately we kind of succeeded in reforming the restrictions that meant that we only had low resolution imagery of Israel and the Palestinian territories. Uh, I'm gonna be giving this presentation very much as a kind of a narrative of events um, with a kind of few insights of, of what's changed more recently at the end um, and, and where we can kind of take our work from here and reflecting again on uh, the legacy of uh, Andrea. Um, and he really was, it all kind of starts with Andrea's contribution um, uh, to this work. So as, as, as Bob mentioned before, we were part of the Endangered Archaeology uh, Project over the Middle East and North Africa. And this project was very much about using satellite imagery uh, as a key tool in terms of both identifying sites on the ground, archaeological sites, uh, and monitoring um, understanding what is changing on the ground. Um, and there's been a kind of a revolution, again, in terms of access to satellite imagery over the last, certainly over the last 15 years, where particularly in those arid regions of the world, where satellite imagery, where previously we didn't really have that much access to, to, to any kind of um, high resolution imagery means that we were able to identify sites that haven't been identified before, but also understand that process of change. Something that Bob through the Aerial Archaeology in Jordan project had also um, been working on was very much part of his kind of feeding in um, to the Amina project uh, with David Kennedy, who had started a similar kind of satellite imagery analysis of Saudi Arabia. Um, in the late kind of 2000s. <laughs> and so here is a quick snapshot of the kind of work we're doing. Obviously lots of points on a map um, and within this kind of crossed version, it does look like we have uh, a lot of points uh, over the Levant region. Um, although uh, for various reasons, we do very little work over Israel itself. And um, we were thinking about, uh, particularly about the Palestinian territories uh, and as Bob said, the project beginning in 2015, we'd been kind of thinking about this, but people kept telling us there's this, this restriction that means we can't access satellite imaging uh, of that region or not of a high resolution. 
and so we had other things to focus on. Andrea and I very much kind of bonded over, well, mainly over coffee, uh, investing in an espresso machine for the team, uh, but also um, over our work, particularly in Yemen. Uh, the Amina project was also kind of born out of kind of global interest in what, what was happening in Syria and Iraq in the early 2010s, but certainly by the time civil conflict in, well, uh, the, the much wider conflict in Yemen uh, was really um, escalating in 2015. <coughs> I think it's fair to say there was a, a certain amount of apathy. People had grown tired of these narratives, uh, and particularly in Yemen, which both culturally and geographically seems so much further away from uh, uh, Western Europe, uh, there just wasn't that interest. So we'd, we'd really kind of thrown ourselves in there. So we could put ideas of Palestinian territories uh, to the back of our minds. And that kind of started to change in, well, from late 2016, where the project was also funded very generously uh, by the British Council as part of their cultural protection fund work. Uh, and as part of that, we were going to start doing training workshops uh, in the first instance with six partners uh, in, Palestinian, in Palestinian territories in Jordan, Libya, Tunisia, Lebanon, and originally Syria, but for various political reasons, that changed to um, Iraq. Uh, and as part of this training, we were going to be showing people how to use our database, how important it was to have a digital record of sites on the ground as a way of monitoring and uh, also mitigating um, uh, where there were, were going to be changes on the ground, uh, particularly things like urban development uh, and agricultural expansion. And this posed a real problem for us because we were going to be training partners in the Palestinian territories. But while with all our other partners, we had high resolution satellite imagery, we could do that key analysis work, but we didn't have that option uh, over the Palestinian territories. And I remember very distinctly in early 2017, uh, we were in Oxford and we'd had this meeting and it was a kind of, how are we going, how are we going to sort this out? Uh, no one has any ideas. And I was thinking, I'd already been looking at my work I've mentioned before about using historical aerial imagery. How could we access some of the older RAF collections? Maybe that was one way that we could really kind of have an impact in terms of looking at long, long kind of term change. And Andrea said, well, why is there? Why is there this problem? And I said, I don't know. People keep talking about this, this thing and no one knows what it's called. It's just, there's just censorship and it's coming from the US. And that was a key thing because satellite imagery kind of industry uh, until about kind of 2011, 2012 was dominated by the US. And that stemmed from the fact that satellite imaging started with the US with spy uh, satellites in the 1960s, themselves a successor to aerial photography and particularly following the, 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 the downing of a U-2 spy plane uh, in the late 1950s. So it was a way of having imaging that was saved from uh, the, the perceived Cold War enemies. Um, and out of that, obviously, the Cold War ended in the late 1990s. We don't need to worry about that anymore. And um, there was an idea of, well, we need to commercialize this now. And so through the 1990s, we get satellite imaging companies just starting to develop. And then from about 2000, starting to make commercially available um, satellite images. Uh, but I was like, oh no, well, let me go and do some work. And I'm, I'm gonna find out what's going on here. I just carried on at my desk, I thought I'd do no more of it. it was, yeah, what were we going to do? What, you know, even if you could find anything out? And in my head, I can't, this is, this is 2017, I can't really remember. In my head, I think it was like five minutes later, we came back, it was probably several hours, but kind of, as to his legend, if I think uh, it was only five minutes, he comes back and he slaps down 
a kind of piece of paper. And he says, I think I've got it. And just looking back, this is giving you an idea of the kind of problems we faced in terms of that imagery analysis. So I'm going to come back to this term, um, the kind of resolution of imaging. Um, I was told not to get too technical, no worries. Uh, but basically imagery is, is assessed optically in terms of its resolution, what we call brown sampling distance. So your standard high resolution imagery is about 0.5 meters brown, brown sampling distance. And that means something on the ground that is half a meter square, say, will appear as a pixel on here. So in terms of you probably can't see you as an individual on the ground, but you can see a car or something like that, something larger. Um, whereas, and basically the, the higher the number, the, the lower your resolution. So there was a restriction over Israel, and as again, by extension, the Palestinian territories of two meters. So here we see an example of a tell site from Jordan. We can very much make out all the you know, individual excavation trenches. We can see individual trees, all the buildings that have kind of encroached on the site, the tracks. And here um, at Tel Sultan uh, in Jericho, we have this kind of very hazy mound. We can make out, just because the trenches are so large, we can just make out these large trench cuts. We can see roads and kind of fields, but it's basically somebody's come up and white Vaseline all over your screen. Um, and that meant we were just not able to do the same kind of assessment. We certainly weren't gonna be able to identify new archeological sites um, using these techniques. So it was, it was a real kind of um, stimmy for the project in terms of our work. So Andrea slaps down this piece of paper and he says, read this. And I read it and I didn't understand it. And I read it a couple more times. I still didn't understand it. And then Andrea explained it to me. So this is the carving of an amendment. Uh, part of the uh, Defense Authorization Act of 1997. Um, and it had kind of these two sections, which I'll try and decode for you. So collection and dissemination, department or agency of the United States, yada, 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 will only be able to produce imagery in respect to Israel, and note that it only says Israel. Uh, uh, satellite imagery, apparent, no more detailed or precise than is available from commercial sources. Now that's very vague. What does it mean by commercial sources? It means commercial sources that aren't from the US. And at that time, in the, the mid-1990s, there was no one else. The US were the only people using this technology uh, and commercializing it. So it wasn't really an issue. Uh, the second part, declassification and release. And this relates to that spy satellite imagery, which uh, Clinton had started uh, to declassify um, quite, you know, actually quite progressively uh, um, from, uh, I believe, 1996. Uh, and that was the real thing that kicked this off. And so this was the thing that was limiting the imagery resolution that we could see. And because, although only related to the US, because the US had all the satellites, and um, they kind of set the standard. And the declassification release issue was important because they started releasing what's known as the Corona satellite and the kind of first generation of uh, satellite imaging from the, going from the early 1960s through to the early 1970s. And they'd done that and the GSD, the, the ground sampling distance uh, of that imagery was two meters. So they started releasing that and that was the only imagery available. So that set the standard. And it was the release of that that set off this panic. So at the time we see these newspaper articles uh, appearing in Israel with pictures of Demona. And obviously the nuclear facility there was the, was the big issue. People can see this now. And people were saying, oh, they can see this now, panic, it's all over. And so obviously lobbying began uh, and very quickly, uh, 
we understand through, 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 through movements by organizations like APAC, they were able to introduce this, this restriction. And obviously there was, there was pushback, it wasn't just a total restriction, it related to commercial sources from other countries. And that was a way, obviously a pushback within the US that they could remain competitive because other countries could bypass them. But that, in the mid 1990s, the US was the only superpower. What, who cares about what's gonna happen in 10, 15 years? Surely the US would still be dominant. So this, this was the problem. And even in 2017, it was still in place uh, and it was still holding everything back. And the, the, the legislation was held under the Department of Commerce and it was then run through uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and through those some subcommittees below. They control this legislation. Uh, and very quickly in texts that we read, people, people just added Israel, and the Palestinian territories. It wasn't in the law, but it's what you it. It'd be simpler. Uh, and that was taken as fact. So despite the fact it didn't work, and, and this is obviously years after Oslo, it's still in place and covers the whole territory. And because of the way the satellite imagery is collected, great kind of, we'll see in a moment, great vertical bands are taken. If that imagery in any way, even if just a small part touched Israel or the Palestinian territories, and we'll find out as well, go around heights, it would mean the whole image would be um, uh, set to a lower resolution. So you could have a tile that largely covers Lebanon or Jordan or Egypt, but if it just touches that territory, the whole thing goes. So it was having a real impact, not just on Israel and Palestine, but also some of the territories beyond. So he said, well, okay, well, there's law, Andre. What do we, we need to do about it? And he said, but we know that there are, there are other companies now. It's 2017, other companies have started collecting imagery. All we have to do is show that and they'll have to change this law. Like, That's right, this is so simple. It's all we have to do. So very quickly, we start getting in contact with companies, trying to get the footprints of all the imagery that they have taken of a higher resolution than two meters. Lots of companies commercial sensitivity didn't really want to do this but we kind of found ways around I think we probably took advantage of some people in terms of their kind of sales pitch because obviously they were trying to sell a satellite imagery and um, so we were being a little bit sneaky but for the greater good I think um, and very quickly we, we, we kind of were able to demonstrate some kind of major things and so here you can see those, those kind of long rectangular kind of strips and the way the satellite imagery the way the satellite's orbiting it takes a, an image and cut across the landscape. Uh, and what we're able to show that there were four companies that are actually going beyond that two meter limit. Um, two at about one meter, uh, this, these two companies, Deimos uh, and the DMC3, uh, but mainly Airbus. And they have been producing high resolution imagery of about 0.5 meter, which was very much the industry standard at the time from 2011, but certainly covering Israel and the Palestinian territories from 2012, because they're not just capturing everything. People have to task these satellites. They don't just constantly take images. And um, so from 2012, people have been asking for this imagery and have been provided. And so we were 2017 and the US regulator hadn't noticed that kind of main, Airbus really is the main competitor uh, to the US satellites. Nobody had thought that this, you know, that this would uh, impact on it. Nobody had noticed. So we started gathering this evidence. And as we did it, it kind of got more interesting because we found, so Google Earth being the main way that we're accessing satellite imagery, someone had taken some of this Airbus imagery and had put it on Google Earth. 
So in a way, they'd already broken the Carl-Bingham Amendment. They put 0.5 meter imagery, certainly covering the Palestinian territories and the Golan Heights. I mean, there you could argue that's not even the law. So they haven't actually broken anything, but they did creep over and cover some parts of, um, of Israel as well. So this was, and, and this imagery was from 2013. So this is happening years ago. Google, that was the big company. That's how everybody got satellite imagery. Why, why had nothing changed? So oh, what are we gonna do? So we started talking about, let's write a blog about this. Yeah, blogs are how things happen. Well, it turned out other people on our team weren't quite so keen on this. The idea of putting our heads above the parapet, of causing trouble, and quite rightly, you know, what were we gonna achieve by doing this? And were we gonna kind of cause more trouble than, than necessary? So we had to scrap the blog and we weren't really supposed to work on this in the meantime. So we set to work, working in the evenings. Um, I have children, so I would work kind of six till 10. Andrea was a lunatic and he would work from kind of nine till three. So I'd wake up in the morning and have all these emails like, look at this declassified document I found on some strange part of the internet that I can't tell you about. Uh, and so in this process, over kind of a two week kind of frantic period, we were kind of picking up more information and we were writing. And we pretty much had a paper written in two weeks. We thought, okay, we're gonna have to publish this somewhere else. We've got it, but we need being tiresome academics. We're like, well, we need to we need to stamp our name on this by having a paper, an academic paper, so that our time wasn't just kind of uh, wasted. Um, so we tried to contact the NOAA, they didn't respond. Uh, but we also said about trying to publish this paper. And this is this paper was it wasn't archaeological, we were completely outside our comfort zone, but we were sure this is great, everyone's gonna want this. Nobody wanted this. Um start typing away, I know, look at what we can do. So this is from some of that Google Earth imagery uh, covering the, the West Bank. Uh, suddenly from that kind of hazy tallow satan, we suddenly had crisp kind of uh, images of sites uh, and also an ability to assess kind of threats and risks to that site. Here we can see military emplacements that have been dug all around it and possibly some damage from bulldozing on one side. You know, we had a clear kind of narrative, you know, We've got a big thing, this is going to be impact, and everyone keeps talking about impact, uh, although we don't really often see that impact in academia. Uh, and we were even able to start identifying new sites. So here's another site in the kind of northwest part of the West Bank, where with our, with our kind of low resolution imagery, we couldn't see anything, but with higher resolution imagery, we could see probable looting pits. So we suddenly had a clue, well, here's an archaeological site. It wasn't on any register, either in the Palestinian territories or at the IAA. Uh, and then we came across something else. Not only was this high resolution imagery available, but actually the Israeli government produced a kind of drone-based imagery of most of the country, plus most of um, the Palestinian territories, at an even higher resolution, up closer to 0.25 meters, so really high resolution. So this is that same site, and now we can very much see the kind of black dots, the pits, and the kind of, oh, sorry, I'm losing my microphone. Uh, the kind of donut shape of where the looting pit dug out. So in the US, they had this restriction on imaging over, over Israel and Palestine, but Israel was giving away for free, you know, online, anywhere, much higher resolution imagery. So it really was becoming a, a kind of a joke uh, legislation. And so we put this all in this paper and we thought this is going to be big. But it wasn't, it, we really struggled to find anybody. Sometimes a public, sometimes an editor would say, oh, that's kind of interesting. And particularly some big geographical journals, 
took it and they sent it straight back and said, we're not even gonna peer review this. Uh, and we didn't know why, um, and we can only speculate. Um, and so we were getting this not back and as, as Bob said, Andrea went off on the Mongol rally. So I was kind of left on, on my own to try and sort this out and try and find a publisher going from journal to journal. And we thought, well, we need, we need some help here, particularly as the NRIA weren't paying any attention. So we made uh, contact through uh, visualizing the Palestine team through to Al Shabaka, a policy network uh, in the US, and through them to one of the, at the time, writers, Zina Agar, who started then publishing stuff to really kind of draw attention to what was going on here. So this is a paper she published in August 2018 before our, and um, actually it's just probably just after our paper was published. So we pushed on and on until finally we found a publisher, Space Policy, again, a journal we didn't think we'd ever find ourselves in. Um, but we had a publisher and we were really happy with the paper. Straight away, we sent it off to the NRAA. Here's all the proof. You know, you don't even need to do the work now. It, it's done. We've done it, it's published. Everyone can relax. Um, and it turned out the NRAA said, well, but we've already started our own review. Some other people, have, some other satellite companies have said, and so we're already working on this. Um, so as I said, we wrote this paper in two weeks, pretty much, just in the evenings, kind of frantically looking. So they're the professionals, they'll have this done in no time. Um, so we published uh, in March, 2018, it was all out there. By that time, the NUAA had started their investigation. Come the summer, they had a meeting. Oh no, we're still working on it. How are they still working on it? We, we did this in two weeks and we are amateurs. Um, but no, they were working on it and working on it. And come late 2018, they announced, no, we finished our report. We're not gonna publish our full report. We're not gonna publish our methodology. We're not gonna publish any of our results. We're just gonna say, no, this stuff is not commercially available. It's not true. Don't worry about it, forget about it. And so that was a huge knockback. We just didn't know what to do at that point. We were sat on a lonesome in Oxford. What impact could we have in terms of what was going on in the US? Now, luckily through our friends, Al Shabaka, particularly through Zina, um, who's now based in London, uh, but particularly Mimi Kirk, who also worked there, we kind of said, well, they have these public meetings because this is public law. And could somebody go along and call Mimi? She knew nothing about satellite imagery, about this legislation. And I was like, here's all the notes, Mimi. And obviously I thought this made complete sense, but it probably didn't. And she would go off to these meetings uh, and stand in for us and try and get attention. These meetings are very, very dull. And they give, maybe if they don't overrun, you'll have five minutes at the end for questions. And they don't really want questions. They want questions about what colors the new satellite gonna be. They don't, they don't want people advocating for Palestinian rights to be in there asking these questions. Uh, and you know, because Mimi was not an expert in any of this, she was having to work from our notes. They were quite easy, you know, it was easy for them just to bounce these things back as we see from our own political meetings in the UK. We just bounce these questions off. But it was clearly riling them. They made jokes about that they hoped they wouldn't see her at the next meeting, but she'd go to the next meeting and we would push it and push it. And they said, okay, well, we're gonna reopen another investigation then into this, this, this rule. And the interesting thing is, although when the law was put in place in 1997, they said, we're gonna review this every year. They never reviewed it. They did one small review in 2008, but they didn't review it any at all. It was just left to lie. I mean, very much civil service thing. You know, if you don't have to do it, nobody's asking, you're not gonna do it. And so after all that, after doing one review that took nearly 18 months and saying there was no problem, they said, okay, 
fine, I'll start another review. But it was also clear that they were getting pressure from above and from the Department of Commerce uh, and there are issues. And all this stems back to the law originally being in place to protect the national security of Israel. So we were not really any further forward and we were pretty, feeling pretty disheartened. You know, we didn't know if we were gonna make any change. And we went on and on like this. And unfortunately in 2019, Andrea became, well, in late 2018, um, Andrea uh, became ill. Um, and unfortunately when he died, we really didn't feel, well, I didn't feel it was going anywhere. Fortunately, I had to kind of tell, oh, no, no, I've got these other ideas, we'll keep pushing this. But really didn't feel like we were going anywhere. You know, the NYA were able to ignore us, kept pushing and pushing, and we were, we were kind of trying to build a bigger network in the US, but it was so difficult, because again, we're, we're handing to people in Congress these really kind of as simple as possible notes about satellite imaging, and it's not really a kind of area of interest, and we were having to learn about how lobbying works in the US, which is incredibly complicated, and sounds a little bit corrupt. Um, I'm pushing on and on until finally, and we're not really sure why, they brought in somebody new um, uh, to do the analysis. Uh, I've been in contact with her and given her all our notes, but really she was so kind of, yeah, we'll do this. I just thought, oh, this is just looking up, we're going to get knocked back again. But then, in the midst of the pandemic, came out, no, they were going to change it. It was all going down, and it was going down to 0.4 meters, which is the equivalent of Korean satellite, the K3A, that had been taking imagery, just as we said in our paper, all these things. And they announced this and they said, yep, we've done this now. Obviously, we weren't mentioned at all because who wants to say these two imbeciles in Oxford had kind of written this paper uh, a couple of years before. And, but it was raised in the meeting because of the pandemic. I was able to attend virtually, but not um, really interact. Um, somebody raised the question, oh, okay, but what, what's changed since 2018? And they said, oh, well, things have changed in the Asian market or something like that. Um, which wasn't true because as our image before showed that K3A had been taking imagery since at least 2016. And not even to mention the fact that Airbus had been taking high resolution imagery since 2012. So again, because you're in a meeting full of people who don't really care, Ted Cruz was there, it was very bizarre. Um, it, it's kind of, it's moved on. So the law is still there, but now, suddenly we could access high resolution imagery. We, we'd made it. And obviously it was incredibly bittersweet because it wasn't we anymore, it was just me. Um, and, and particularly as, you know, there was no mention of us in terms of why this law had changed. Um, and coming back to that idea of legacy, uh, yeah, we, it felt that we were very easily kind of lost in that narrative. And obviously every person that we asked to help would have their own kind of, you know, reasoning for help and wanting their own kind of credit for that work. Um, and the problem is, obviously, we've seen them, you know, they've misled their own committee in a way by saying that there was no changes um, before kind of their, their review of 2020. Um, but it has changed. So now the, the, the limit of satellite imagery generally in the US is 0.25 meters for Palestine and Israel, for Israel and still by their extension Palestine, it's 0.4 meters. And so we're in this funny point where there's 15 centimeters of difference, which unless you're really looking closely, isn't a difference at all. But like all these things, it's easier to create a law than get rid of it. So the law stays in place and it's there. And particularly when the new generation of Airbus satellites goes up, they probably won't do it automatically again. If I'm still looking, we'll have to push them again to change it. But change it we did. And so after 2020, we've done it. 
we could kind of relax um, and kind of wait to see what happens next. But the problem is then that has to feed to the satellite imaging company. So we're still waiting. And by now, our cultural protection fund work is largely coming to an end. So we've really missed that kind of window in terms of working with our Palestinian colleagues. And our colleague Zina um, kept pushing as well. It was, it was kind of, in a way, it was nice to have a colleague who could do these things with gloves off. She published um, straight after that announcement um, in 2020, uh, one of foreign policy's um, kind of most popular or most read, I should say, articles um, of 2020. Um, again, pushing what we'd done uh, and what this meant for the region. Now, coming back to the beginning and had that huge panic about the Demona nuclear facility beginning, I was like, well, the satellite imagery hasn't appeared yet, but hopefully we'll soon and there'll be some kind of positive news using this for kind of environmental analysis and stuff. So I was a bit kind of shocked in kind of February when the first imagery coming out was of the developments going on at the Demona plant, but still a win is a win, I'll take it. Um, and so people were suddenly becoming more aware of, of what was changing um, and certainly through upstart companies such as Planet Labs who are producing imagery like this, even you know, much higher resolution imagery, um, it was really kind of the change in the narrative on the ground. And then, unfortunately, come May, we see another conflict again uh, centered on Gaza. Um, and while it's very odd, uh, satellite imaging companies love to give images for, to free for me to media because it's like free advertising. Um, and so we were suddenly seeing that imagery appear and we were getting this kind of independent way of um, reporting what was going on on the ground, how the bombing campaign was going. Um, uh, but you had all those open source intelligence people, I mentioned before, people like Bellingcat, um, who were saying, but we don't have that legacy of imagery yet. Um, and many of the open access platforms like Google Earth still didn't have this imagery at all. They were really kind of dragging their heels about it. And so, uh, for instance, this, this, this article by um, uh, people at the BBC, again, started reporting on this and the importance of having that imagery and really capturing how satellite imagery was becoming more and more important terms of that reporting, think of that early stage of the conflict, uh, ongoing conflict in, in, in Ukraine, and how that was used to really tell people what exactly was going on on the ground. Um, so in terms of that conflict, it was starting to have a small impact, but I think and we all know that there will be more conflict, and um, we will see a, a larger and larger impact. Uh, and so some of the smaller providers like Apple Maps uh, and Bing Maps started bringing in and much higher resolution imagery. But Google, despite being somebody, maybe it was just one person at Google put that imagery in at the beginning and that really, that kind of helped make our paper that somebody had put on Google, biggest of the big, and um, all those years ago, Google were really hold, you know, holding back. They're very difficult to contact. The one person we were able to contact was saying, no, no, you don't understand how hard it is to sort these things out. But they'd already put that imagery up there in 2013, 2014. Um, so we were starting, you know, the imagery that was starting to become available. Eventually, Google started putting imagery on for the West Bank, but still keeping their filter on for Israel itself. And so, for instance, we're using this sequence here to show um, uh, this Roman and Byzantine site um, in 2013, and um, the ruins are visible there. And then 2019, we see the encroachment of settlement um, to one side of it. Obviously, that's not damaging the site. But it's something obviously to be monitored in terms of the possible impact on the site below. So now we were starting to see that kind of Amina methodology that we were using elsewhere starting to come uh, into play over the Palestinian territories. Uh, again, just to the north of that site, uh, Tel Al Hamar. 
Um, again, we see here, just a dirt track is cut across it, but it's just those small incremental things. People think of the damage that we were seeing in terms of ISIS um, uh, in, the, in the 2010s, but really, you know, in terms of scale, it's the small scale things. It's the, you know, a settlement, you know, getting larger, it's you know, agriculture spreading. You see these new cloud marks appearing here. And with that low resolution imagery before, we wouldn't be able to do this work. And here we can. Um, and again, here looking, again, the impact of, of the settlements and here the industrial settlements um, on sites in the West Bank. Uh, now, almost kind of, I like to think that Google maybe even saw this, this, this paper was advertised and, and, and they thought we better do something. So now um, in the Negev, a few, I think a month ago, maybe two months ago, they started putting up imagery here just because it's, it's kind of almost mesmerizing to look at. It's a solar array um, uh, in the south of Israel. So that imagery is finally appearing on Google Earth. We're in 2022 now and the law changed in 2020 and the law should have changed in 2012. Um, but finally we're seeing that impact having basically complained our way through to making change happen. Um, and then really aptly, so a week ago when I started putting this presentation together, uh, you remember this image from the beginning, here we see the old city in Jerusalem, very visible. And there, as soon as you come onto uh, the west side, you see this kind of Vaseline effect over all this area. You know, they were, even though the law had changed in 2022, eh, sorry, in 2020, 2022, they still felt, no, we need this. And then, I think possibly even earlier this week, maybe before I wasn't monitoring exactly, it's lifted and suddenly we're seeing new imagery come on. And this is, this is really exciting. Suddenly we're getting those data sets coming in. And whereas across the rest of the Middle East and North Africa, we sometimes have imagery going back to about 2000. We're starting much later down the line. Although these companies could de-blur that earlier imagery, they're not going to, there's no incentive for them. We're starting to see this imagery come through. But there were still caveats, and Google is still being very sneaky about this. So we use something called Google Earth Pro, which is like a desktop version of Google Earth. And there, you get all the archive imagery. So if there's an image from 2002, that will be there. And you can flick through and look at these different images. But the way most people are accessing Google Earth is through their phones on Google Maps. And there, you just have a single, single layer. So what we've been seeing is that Google will put a high-resolution image of um, parts of the West Bank, for instance, of 2019. And then they'll put from an American company that still hasn't been making this imagery available, they'll put a later image over the top so that while on Google Earth Pro, we can flick through and see these different images. For you, the casual user, you're just getting the blurred version. So for whatever reason, they're continuing to push it, to continuing to, for whatever reason, trying to make it hard to access this imagery. But the change is there, the change is happening. Uh, through our work, through events like this, we're able to kind of push that and, and highlight the need to kind of almost find these ways through. <coughs> and even now, I noticed earlier this week, we've only got half of the Mona, but still half. Let's flick through, have a close up of that. And there again, you're seeing that contrast between uh, the old two meter resolution and closer to 0.5 meters uh, here on the right. Uh, and now we're also able to sort of start accessing visually those archaeological sites in Israel itself if people want to kind of carry on the kind of work they're doing um, in that region. <laughs> so what next? The NOAA, we imagine, will continue to drag their feet as we see in the US, things that we think are in place and very relatively progressive 
can easily be reeled back if somebody chooses to, um, particularly right-wing governments choose to, uh, or right-wing members of governments. Um, so that will have to, people will have to keep an eye on that. Um, particularly after, you know, for whatever reason, I am no longer looking at this. Hopefully somebody else will. And it's bizarre, you know, you had that imagery there. I thought we should have changed in 2012. You have, there's a whole kind of world of space policy people, people in, in universities. This was the only legislation in the world that covered, blanket covered a country. And yet nobody had picked it up on this. Isla Weisman at uh, Forensic Architecture had kind of noted the two things that, well, it's odd that you have this restriction because actually Airbus have this better um, imagery but hadn't, like Andrea, gone looking for obscure laws on the internet and put the two together. So we were kind of only just ahead of the game there. Um, but it needs constant vigilance in terms of what's going on, how people are doing it. Again, some of those tricks on Google that are making it hard to access this imagery. But there are also things, things we can do in the UK. If you remember back at the beginning, I was talking about how um, before we realized about the Carl Bingerman Amendment, what about historic imagery that obviously with our own colonial legacy over Palestine, um, that imagery taken, particularly the surveys over Palestine in between 1944 and 1946, the Port Said missions, of which this is an example, quite high resolution aerial imagery showing, in many ways, a completely different landscape. Incredibly important in terms of understanding how that landscape has changed, the environmental degradation, the archaeological degradation sites that have been lost without record. These are now held in, a, in a, an arm's length. Um, public body, uh, the National Collection of Aerial Photography, which is part of Historic Environment Scotland, but they're incredible hard to, to access. They make it very difficult. Um, their focus, their business model is about imagery of Europe relating to bomb damage. There's a whole other story there, but this is incredibly difficult to access. It's incredibly expensive to access. If you do, Isle Weisman said he considered it un, you know, not accessible at all. Poor quality prints of these, these images are held at the Hebrew University, but obviously for our Palestinian colleagues, that is not, there are so many barriers to accessing that. Um, so here's something else we can work on. How do we open up that? We, you know, we're working with partners to try and find ways, not only the Palestinian collections, but all of the global South, particularly those areas where there was a British legacy, where imagery was taken supposedly for the benefit of those countries and is now to an certain extent been monetized um, and, you know, isn't it, particularly for ODA countries, it's not accessible. So it's finding other ways that continue the work that me and Andrea did in terms of opening up that, that contemporary imagery, opening up these historic archives to really push through the kind of work that is so much, you know, in many ways, further forward across the Middle East, the Middle East and North Africa. <laughs> I bring this back to Andrea and Bob talked about you know, Andrea's need he wanted to be remembered and sadly you know towards the end you know, he was ill and, and we knew he wasn't coming back and he would talk about oh i have these legacies you know, i want these legacies and his legacy was make the carving and then and then let the change happen and at that point again i, I thought it wasn't going to happen and i thought it doesn't matter you know, you know think about you andrea and your life and it doesn't matter none of this matters and it's odd that Obviously, definitely for Andrea, but probably for myself, this is probably possibly a high point of our careers. I think, particularly as an archaeologist, will I ever do something this important again? I don't know if I will. And so I hope Andrea will be happy that it happened in the end. It was, it was a struggle. We got so many knockbacks. They ignored us. People were very rude to us. 
sometimes probably quite rightly, we were probably rightly first. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something he wanted and it happened. And sadly in that narrative, people talk about this, when that 2020 announcement came out, that the, the legislation was gonna change. Who cares about some guys in Oxford? Nobody, even though with, if, you, if you Google it, we're the first people on the list, but nobody was reading our paper, nobody was mentioning it. Um, but, and we were very easily written out the narrative and kind of almost amusingly, people talked about Trump's administration are changing this thing. Oh, Trump, as if Trump, you <laughs> cares. Well, you might care if somebody told him, but it was just, it, you know, it, this was just a mechanism of, 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 of government. There was a law. Luckily, back at the beginning, somebody put in that reform mechanism that could change. And um, in fact, we even spoke to people from back in the early days, the, the kind of original satellite imaging experts in the US, they were furious about this. They really pushed back uh, and were furious about this, not because so much they cared about the Levant, but because they could see, well, if they do it here, maybe the censor will go somewhere else and censorship um, is kind of anti-business. And, and there almost we see the kind of Google thing of, no, they're definitely, back in 2010, they were very anti-censorship. Um, uh, and perhaps that's why we see that imagery appearing in 2013, 2014, and now, we have a very different Google. The, the days of uh, do no evil um, are gone. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we, 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 we made it, but we have in, in many respects written out that story. It's easy to kind of forget it, but his name's there. Hopefully, depending on how interesting you found this meeting, you will remember Andrea in terms of that. Next time you open Google Earth uh, or any engine, you are seeing that because this guy knew how to find obscure US documents on the internet. <laughs> um, and it you know, is a fitting legacy, um, and one that I think he'll be happy with, I hope we're all happy with in the long term. Um, thank you very much. <laughs>